Hi, it's Robin McMahon here. I'm the host of Parenting Our Future. And if you're listening to this podcast, I want to thank you so much for being here. I also want you to know that I'm a former angry mom. I used to yell and rage and threaten and punish my kids because I wasn't getting the cooperation or the behavior that I felt I should be getting. And I struggled for many years, not knowing how to change or knowing what to do differently. It wasn't until I found the world of peaceful parenting that I learned why my kids acted the way they did and also why I was so angry and triggered. I was able to heal my anger and leave my triggers behind so that I could focus on being the calm and confident parent I always expected myself to be. I can tell you that feeling connected to your kids is the best feeling in the world. My two boys are teenagers now, and we have a strong relationship that is rooted in deep connection. And where there is connection, there's cooperation. Parenting is the most important job we do, but it's the hardest job we do. And we do it without understanding the fundamentals of the way our kids grow and develop. We do it without knowing the way their brains work or what their behavior is actually really telling us. So it's no wonder it's so hard. And it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to say, this is harder than I thought it would be. And that's where I come in. I can help you and I can support you so that you can have the cooperation and enjoy being a parent. You can book a free call with me on my website, parentingforconnection.com. And if you want to download my free guide, how to turn a no into cooperation, go to triggerfreeparents.com. I really hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. It's Robin. Welcome back to Parenting Our Future. Okay, we're going to talk about safe social. And this is a topic I've talked about before, but I have to tell you, it bears repeating. And we need to keep talking about this because our kids are not safe online in a lot of different ways. And I don't think that we can take our eye off the ball and not talk about this because it changes, it morphs, it grows. And we need to make sure that we keep up to date with what's going on for the safety of our children. And there's a lot of not good stuff out there. So I am really, really, really excited to talk to Bailey Parnell, who is here. Now, she's the founder and CEO of Skills Camp, which is a soft skills training company. And she's also been named, I mean, I don't want to brag at how awesome my guests are, but one of Canada's top 100 most powerful women. She's also a TEDx speaker and has over 3 million views of her TEDx talk. And uh, she, so here's what brought her to this work. She has a master's in communication and culture from Ryerson University with research looking into social media's impact on mental health. This is what brings her here. And the results of which she presented to the World Youth Forum in Egypt. And this has formed her signature five steps towards safe social and it's hashtag safe social. So we're going to be talking all about that today. And I just want to welcome you, Bailey. Thanks for, for being here. Thank you so much. And, and Robin, thank you so much for having me and for creating this platform uh, where we can have these really important discussions. 
Yeah, we really do need to. And like I said, we've got to keep our eye on the ball and I've got teenage boys and, you know, I have, I have teenage nieces as well. And so, you know, this is, this is the world that I'm living in as well. And um, it does scare me and I do see things. And so one of the things that you talk about, which I've never heard anybody really talk about before is how being on social media is in your opinion, equal to risky behavior, like using drugs, alcohol, unsafe sex. So what do you mean by that? And what exactly is the risk? I am so glad that you've opened with this question, Robin, because this is really going to give us the lens through which we have the rest of our conversation. And it's, I think it's going to help everyone listening. Now, in psychology, a risky behavior is actually pretty simply defined as something where when you participate, you expose yourself to potential harm, like drinking, like cannabis, like sex, like even driving actually are all Mm -hmm. risky behaviors because we know for sure now that you expose yourself to potential harm when you do these things. Um, Social media, well, we know for extra sure now that you Mm. also expose yourself to potential harm when you're active in these spaces. And the list could go on forever, but that might include things like stress, frustration, um, PTSD, being re-traumatized by what you see, depression, harassment. I mean, again, the list goes on and on and on. Mm. And so in my work, I say social media is a risky behavior and, and should be treated as such. And so then when you start thinking about it, like how we treat alcohol, like how we educate on alcohol, like how we license driving, like just really the ecosystem approach to these risky behaviors, I think the treatment to social media and what's happening here makes a lot more sense through this lens. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we would be really careful about the way we model how we drink if if we want to compare it to those other risky behaviors. I know that I will sort of narrate because my, my oldest son is at the driving age, sort of narrate, you know, look, I have to look over my shoulder in order to do this. I make sure that I signal to let people know I'm always looking in my rear view mirror and, you know, and so on and so on. Right. And so uh-huh. we also now need to really be doing that with social media too. Right. And it's so, so true. So how do we be good role models? What does that look like? Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up driving because I often talk about the very serious ones like alcohol, but if you even think about driving as a simple example, I think it can give us some sign of at least what it could look like. And, right. you know, because we know that driving is a risky behavior in that you, you can put yourself in harm, but you can also harm others. We say mm. as a society, you need to make sure that you prove that you know the rules of the road before you're active in this risky behavior. You need to prove it knowledge-wise and maybe do a test. Maybe you even need to prove that you can handle it by doing a practical test. Mm. And then we say, yeah, okay, it's cool. You've got this privilege to drive. We say not a right to drive, but a privilege to drive. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that you're not allowed to follow or you're not allowed to not follow the rules of the road because we've decided that these rules of the road keep everyone safer. And if you don't, well, guess what? The privilege is revoked. And so I think, okay, this is how we're treating a risky behavior like driving. Um, You know, what if we applied the similar lens to, to social media? And we said, what would it look like to know that someone is ready to do this thing. Like we say, you know, at 16, we believe you are mature enough to handle driving. Uh, 
um, what would it look like? What would that age be? At least let's start having mm-hmm. these conversations. Is there some kind of license to use? Is there some kind of, um, you know, knowledge test or practical, almost like a probation period you get when you join yeah. or, or is it linked to your real identity? Are you not allowed to have fake accounts? Mm-hmm. Like it has to be linked to you and verified such as on Airbnb. Let's at least talk about what are the pros and cons of this? And would that create safer rules of the road? Now, You've brought up being a good role model, which is step four in my, my five steps towards safe social. And mm. the, the whole thing there is that we are in a really weird phase of history right now, where particularly adults and youth on social media right, right now in 2022, we are defining what is normal here. It feels like it's been around forever, but this new thing has really not been around that long. We don't even have 50 year olds yet that went through puberty with social media. Like it doesn't exist yet. Like it's going to take a while, but we are actively right now defining what we think is okay here. And so for modeling good behavior, Mm -hmm. it's leading by example. It's um, with both what you're putting online, as well as how you use almost your mobile devices. Like, are you, oh my gosh, kids can't get their head out of their phones these days, but you've also been on email the entire dinner. And that's a learned behavior. And, you know, an eight-year-old might not know what exact, even if you're doing an email for them to go to that skating class, like they are not going to know, but they are going to understand at a subconscious level, the learned behavior that it's okay to be on your devices during shared family dinners. If you don't want that, then that might be something you would need to think about. Are you spreading hateful, provocative content? negative content, you're putting it online, sharing your opinions, but then also complaining that social media is a toxic place. Is it at least possible that you're contributing to the toxicity here? Mm -hmm. So there's some of these questions that we put on our website for people to have a self-reflection and think through, well, what am I modeling both in what I say and how I say it and how I use the devices? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, you know, I I've said this before too, we're also not immune to having just scrolling through social media and feeling less than like, you know, I mean, I I've talked about it many times where it's like, Oh, must be nice. Must be nice. Your kid has this, that, and the other thing, right. You know, I'm Mm, jealous, right. Like, Oh, great. Your kid has a job, uh, you know, early or whatever. Right. Oh, I'm so glad they got their license (laughs) on their 16th birthday. And you know, my kids are like not right. Like, and, and I, and, and of course, it doesn't matter. Comparison is the thief of joy. And I think that's a really important lesson that we all need to learn. And I think that it's hard because there's this novelty as Mm -hmm. well. And it sort of appeals to our, you know, voyeuristic, uh, you know, you know, just sort of, I'm, I'm naturally kind of nosy and, you know, (laughs) like to, like to see what's going on. And so, um, but also I think we also want to ask ourselves how, why do I use social media? Is social media Mm -hmm. for me numbing me? Because I think we're checking out of life with social media sometimes. Um, is it an outlet for anger, for frustration? Right. Um, I mean, I have, I, I, you know, there was a time where I spent a lot of money on ads, Mm -hmm. Facebook ads and Holy cow, people can be so 
rude and mean yeah. and horrible. Yeah. And I, you know, our, our philosophy was always to choose love, right? Like, you know, it's not about me and it's still, there were days it hurt, you know? So I, I think don't. asking ourselves, you know, what are we using it for? Is it numbing? Are we, are we, you know, using it as a way to cope? Um, is it making things worse for us? And also who wants to be connected all the time to work and do emails over dinner? Like let's shut that down. Right. Yeah. That's definitely a separate conversation too. <laughs> think about like mindfulness and well-being. but you know, Robin, those questions you just asked, don't they sound very similar to how we would suggest you think about alcohol? You know, are you, why are you drinking? Are you drinking because you genuinely enjoy this cocktail and it tastes good and cool. It has the added benefit of easing your mind a little bit. Yeah, sure. Okay. Or are you drinking to numb yourself or are you drinking for escapism or are you drinking because you actually don't control this and it is an addiction and Mm -hmm. is it harming your relationships and is it physically affecting your body? And, um, if you go further down this path, we actually have an assessment that I created that was called about social media addiction. And what does that look like? And it was created through this lens of how we present signs of addiction to other risky behaviors. And it'll ask questions like, have you ever blacked out and not remember what you looked at for the last hour to, you know, to what degree does this happen to you? Is it like all the time or is it like once a day? Um, Have you ever put yourself in physical danger because of your use? For example, maybe someone honked at you on the street or bumped into you. And how often does this happen? Have you ever lied or manipulated a situation in order to use? For example, you said you're going to bathroom, but actually you just wanted to check social media. How often do you think about it when you're not using? Has it affected your physical body, like giving you carpal tunnel or, you know, hurt your eyes? And to what degree does this happen? And if we were talking about any other risky behavior and I said, you black out, it puts you in physical danger. It's actually affecting your physicality. It's harming your relationships. And you think about it when you're not using we would say maybe this is cause for concern. Mm-hmm. Right. P- completely. Holy cow. All of those would be a, a, a big warning sign. I completely 100%, agree. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so that's <laughs> sort of us, right. And by the way, you do have um, some, some great resources in the toolbox. Thank you. The parent toolbox. You've got having the talk with your kids. <laughs> you also have 12 strategies to improve social media use. And I'm sure that's not so that you can look at more, but to <laughs> improve. Uh, well, and let's talk about that. And then also um, that social media addiction assessment. So thank you for that. So can we talk about the talk? Sure. Yes, I would love to. Yes. So let me say, you know, if, if any of your listeners are interested in this in the mental health space, and I I know you must've covered this on the podcast already, but there are different approaches. We take a harm reduction approach to safe Mm. social. Mm. And the whole idea of why it's called practicing safe social was, you know, if I walked into a room of teenagers today and I said, you all have to get off social media, they would just laugh me out of the room. Like it would be unreasonable advice um, that they're not going to take. So we take a harm reduction approach, which is if abstinence from social media is not an option for you, how do you practice safe social, which is essentially Mm. how do we get the benefits of this thing without, with less of the risk. Mm. And because I get the benefits too, there's no doubt about it. We found each other on social, you know, like you've seen the Ted talk, which is delivered on social. So there's a lot of benefits. So it's how do we get the benefits with less of the risk? And so, you know, that download that everyone will get is 
kind of a cheeky way of saying, you know, when we have like the talk about drinking or the talk about sex or something with your, with your youth, what does the talk look like for other risky behaviors like social media? And in that download that they're going to see, there's 12 different things to keep in mind, but there's actually very practical examples too. So Mm. if I I might give one, it's, you know, are we setting clear expectations? You know, expectations, they might for, for what, for when they can go on social media and what their parameters are and how we might communicate those expectations might change, of course, as they get older. So maybe when they're nine years old, you might say, you know, you're not allowed on social media until you're 14 years old. And that's that. But in the background, you're still modeling how you use it. How mm-hmm. if, you're, if you are as an adult comparing yourself, you might model how you handle that. Maybe at 12 years old, you might say to them, you know, I know, I know a lot of your friends, uh, you know, might be getting on social media, but it's, it's my job to keep you safe and healthy. And so you can always talk to me. You can ask me questions. Mm -hmm. We can brainstorm together, but I'm not, I'm just not comfortable with you on it yet. You know, at 14, you might say, we agree that you can make a Instagram or, or a TikTok, but that these are the rules for use. For example, I need to be following you. I will have your passwords. I, you must have a private account, no phones during dinner, screen time limits, whatever, yeah. whatever sort of ecosystem you create. But then even later, like when they're 18, 21, 25, as you've already noted, we, we don't suddenly not deal with the mental health side of things because we're older. So your kid goes off to school and you might even be saying like, oh, I know it can be difficult to be making all these new friends. Like, how are you doing? Like, how's your social? Yeah. You're making sure your settings, what are your limits right now? Like you might even talk to them more as a peer at that point. So yeah, you might talk about privacy. There's other tips in that download. Like, are we making sure that they feel that they can come ask us questions or I love this one. (laughs) Similar to other risky behaviors. If they do feel open with me and they come tell me a story about what's happened with maybe some of their friends, maybe, oh, one of their friends posted an inappropriate photo online and, um, they, and it was taken and something happened. And when they come tell you that story, do you say, oh my God, why would this girl do that? Is she an idiot? Like, what are you talking about? Mm. Because then goodness gracious, God forbid they end up in that situation themselves. Would they feel comfortable enough going to you if you've already, Mm -hmm. you know, really made it a scene that this is unacceptable. I know that sounds wild to say, you know, Oh, I might say, well, why did she do it? Like I might just simply reframe the question to be a bit more from a place of curiosity and like, let's explore this together Mm -hmm. and have you arrive at the conclusion that you shouldn't maybe do this instead of uh, the judgment. I love and that. They'll be better off later on. I promise you, because they'll be able to arrive at the judgment themselves. Like you're teaching them how to think as opposed to what to think. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I love that. I love that. And I wonder, um, does, does the talk. So, okay. Sorry. There's a couple of things that I want to, I want to mention, you know, I think there's two different topics here. One is the topic of allowing your child to have a device mm-hmm. period. Right. And then And then at what age does that happen? Right. And device means to me means phone, tablet, um, Mm -hmm. you know, some kind of gaming system that also can access the internet um, Mm -hmm. and a computer that allows them to access the internet and and whatever else. I mean, a smart TV now these days, you know, I know I can watch YouTube on my TV and other do other things on on Mm -hmm. that TV. So um, so there's that. And 
I will just say that wait as long as humanly possible and do not do what other parents do around you, do what's right for you and your child. And um, to have that conversation right away. And I like what you're saying is that it changes and morphs a bit Mm -hmm. as your child gets older, as it should, because you're dealing with different things, right? And they are going to want to have a Facebook account, but, or well, maybe not, but, uh, you know, Instagram, I mean, who, maybe TikTok, yeah, 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 sorry. funny story. I just, uh, I, I don't do TikTok at all. And I guess somehow my, my son who's 14 does have a TikTok account, which is okay. And, uh, he, I guess it was attached to my phone number somehow. And anyway, I posted something on TikTok for the first time, but I posted it to his account. So like (laughs) his friends are like, why is your mom on there? Oh my gosh. So funny. Anyway, One of the things I do want to mention too, that I think is a good thing to say to your teenager is that social media is trying to sell you stuff. Mm -hmm. It's trying to control your behavior and control you. Mm -hmm. And are you going to put up with that? Like, are you going to let that It's a great way to word it to a feisty teenager. Yeah. Like, (laughs) really? I mean, shouldn't they pay you for all the ads you see? you know, 100%. all that stuff. Right. So I think that's a good way to get to, to appeal to their sense of sort of like indignity injustice. And I injustice. feel it. I'm right there with them, to be honest, because I'm now we're getting into the capitalist aims of social media. And I hope, I hope we can talk about this more with every, all your, all parents listening that like most things in society, this is part of an ecosystem. And that ecosystem is served by varying factors, like the ecosystem of capitalism, the ecosystem of, of government, the companies themselves, governments, media, parents, educators, we can really all do more to make this a better ecosystem that our kids operate in. And so we know we're just talking often about the parenting angle right now, but what you've just noted there is that social media companies overwhelmingly make their money in the uh, economy of attention. So is what we would call it in marketing, where Mm -hmm. every like, share, comment, and actually even even more so like every gif you share in a private DM to your friend or 0.5 seconds longer you spend on an advertisement becomes a recorded transaction attributing value to something. Mm -hmm. Now, like any other currency, um, we, we use a currency to attribute value to a good or service. And it's just that in social media, these likes, comments, shares 0.5 seconds longer are now a recorded transaction attributing value that we call social currency. Social currency is, um, it means that w- as you just noted, this does work really well with teenagers and young adults to say, how are you spending your attention? Because you are spending it, whether you're conscious of how you're spending it or not, you are absolutely paying in the economy of attention with everything that you like, everything that you watch, everything you share. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's true for adults too. For everyone listening, of course, that's definitely true for how and myself included, you know, what am I consuming online? But I am putting social currency in someone's pocket. And now won't surprise anyone. There is actually literal currency and literal privilege, financial gain and access to having this social currency. So who's, whose pocket am I putting money into essentially? Yeah. Can you expand on that last part a little bit about, uh, yeah. Yeah. Basically monetizing. Oh yeah, absolutely. And what this is, is 
now on social media, if you have a lot of social currency, so for example, if you have a lot of followers or even if you have a smaller amount of followers, but they're very highly engaged. Mm. So remember the currency includes also things like, do they give you an a hundred percent video view? Do they actually listen to the end? Do they do all these things, right? Do they actually buy something when you say to buy it? Um, this would be, otherwise you may have heard it called influence sometimes social influence right. because okay. of the social currency. So an influencer is a common phrase now that I'm sure a lot of listeners have heard. An influencer would be an example of someone who has turned social currency into financial gain, or as you said, monetary value, because I've, I've interviewed influencers and I'm friends with a ton of them. And, um, and I can tell you, they get, they get products, they get services, they get access to exclusive spaces, all because of their social currency, because they're going to talk about it. Mm -hmm. They get, um, you know, I always reference this episode of black mirror called nosedive where they have the literal social score right beside their head. Yes. I love that episode. I don't think that that's that far of a stretch and I should listen to my body because I just got shivers again, but, um, (laughs) but like in that episode, they, you can see the score beside their head and they're only allowed in certain, like when there, she's going to get a mortgage and they say, well, oh, you have to have a 4.7 in order to live in this complex. That's right. Really not that far off when we're saying, um, oh, if you're going to talk about this event, you can come. Like, okay, you've got 15,000 followers and we don't approach anyone with less than 20,000 followers. Like it's really, it's really that. So, um, I, I think about how I spend my attention and I also think about what I value and what do I want to raise up and influencer or not. I mean, just this, would I do this offline? Would I say like, oh, you've got cooler clothes so you can sit with me? Mm-hmm. No, I would not myself. So I, I try not to do that online either. Yeah. Well, and I think the, the, the part of this where it goes sideways is those that aspire to be that those that want that social currency and may go about it in all the wrong ways. Right. And we Mm. see people doing stunts and hurting others and practical jokes and things like that, that are not funny. And there may, uh, anyway, it goes sideways fast yeah. So you've, you've got to be careful, right? You've got to be really careful. And then there's people that are harming themselves and that's getting likes. And unfortunately, and we need to remember this, that like begets like what you like, you'll see more of. And in a world where kids are anxious and depressed and suicide rates are soaring, if they go online, it could create a worse issue for them. Like that's the reality, right? I'm so glad you've said this really, because what I haven't shared yet here is that, um, you know, my research was about social media's impact on mental health. But what I was really interested in was that there were people that were having good experiences and there were people that were having bad experiences. Okay. Mm -hmm. Pretty, pretty rudimentary. But, um, what I was interested in was, Oh, this is interesting part of the research. Look at all these people where social media actually improved their mental health. And so my work was what is happening here? Um, Mm -hmm. what is happening with these people and how can we get more of that benefit with less of this risk that other people are experiencing? So fast forward through, through my research and what came out as absolutely the most important indicator of whether or not you would have a good or bad experience and moderator as to how good or how bad was how they felt about themselves offline at time of use. Mm -hmm. Therefore that meant like almost a direct quote 
would be, um, you know, one woman said, if I went to the gym that day and I feel good, then I see a fitness influencer and I think hashtag goals. But if I didn't, and I feel dusty, then I see the same influencer and I think I hate my life. And this is really important, everyone listening, because this means not only can, you know, two different people react differently to the same post. Yes, of course. But you yourself as an individual can react differently to the same content in different Mm -hmm. hours based on how you're feeling about your offline life. So if this would presuppose then that the the skill number one is making sure you're good offline. And Mm -hmm. And this is really, really important for parents because you know, I want to give you some magical number like, oh, you got to wait till they're 14. That's when they're mentally ready. But I also deal with adults who are not, who are not okay on social media, promise you. So I really feel like the, sure we should have an age recommendation, but um, just like we do for alcohol and driving and all these other risky behaviors. But I hope that you're going to know your kid, like you're going to know, are they confident offline? Because if they're not, and you can tell online will make it worse. It'll basically accentuate everything that's going on offline. Yeah. Yeah. So really what you're saying is it has everything to do with my self value and the moment and everything to do with how vulnerable I'm feeling, right? If I'm feeling vulnerable, it's going to hurt more, but if I'm feeling confident and empowered, it's going to roll off my back. Which is is, seems obvious, but that is exactly right. Because you know what, when people are having a tough day, they might say, I'm just going to have, you know what, I need a big glass of wine or I'm having a tough day and I want to numb myself by going through social media. And it seems almost counterintuitive to say that the, the, to be well on social, you actually have to go offline. You know, it seems like it wouldn't be the solution, but actually if I'm having a really bad day myself, like I do this stuff too. I actually think, oh no, no, this is not the time I go scroll through social media because it's Russian roulette. I have no idea what I'm going to see on my feed. The only one I'll say that I'm enjoying, I am enjoying TikTok. Like for me, I don't do it that often, but I always leave TikTok actually like having laughed or like I get the benefits there, like inspiration, motivation, Mm -hmm. curiosities. So that kind of stuff is fun, but that would be positive, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I want to talk about a couple of other things really quickly. One is, um, your apps, you have apps for parents. So can we talk about what those are and what they look like and what, what they're for? Yeah. Yeah. So I can't take credit. These are not our apps. Like we didn't design the apps, but we did collect some apps that parents can use to, um, essentially help them in this journey, like help them with, with moderating social media use for their kids. So there's apps like the dinner time app where, you know, it allows parents to set time limits and send reminders to their kids about taking time off. Like there's parental control apps. There's, um, software that filters certain, certain websites. If you don't want your kids going on it and they'd make it a little bit easier. So like, if you're not a tech entrepreneur, like you can still, you can still figure out these apps. Yes. Um, there's an app called life 360, which is an app that syncs your family into a private invite only circle, gives family members a view of each other's recent and real-time whereabouts. If you want that, um, gets notified when your family comes and goes, if you want that from, from like most important places, net nanny, even virus locks, secure teen, 
Oh, and there's such cool ones I have to add to this that I was uh, made, made aware of recently. There's one called, oh gosh, I think it's called Kindly. Um, okay. It's not on here on the website yet, but I was just recently in Saudi Arabia at the Global Digital Wellbeing Summit and I met um, Gitanjali, who's the time kid of the year, and she's doing AI, but she's doing it for well-being on social. Oh. And yeah, it's awesome. And this app is actually trying to prevent cyberbullying. So when mm. a teen or a young person who has this installed goes to type something that might be rude or like bullying or words that like, it'll say, are you sure you want to post this? Mm. Because offline psychology suggests that a bully, or even like, um, if you're going to do anything like rage, <laughs> one intervention can significantly reduce the likelihood, even just one inter just mm. one intervention. Like this is really, really good stuff because wow. that means that just with that one question in this app saying, are you sure you want to post this? That is one intervention that could significantly reduce some um, cyberbullying. So there's that, there's those apps, there's, um, Mm. Yeah. So anyways, you can find that on the parents page of safesocialmedia.co. Yeah. The whole website is free. It's great. And I'm scrolling through all of it here and it's great. Funny story. My dad actually worked with NetNanny when they first became a thing way no back way. when I was, I think like a late teenager. Yeah. So it's been around a long time, NetNanny. Yeah. So oh, wow. Like, <laughs> yeah. So that. Yeah. Yeah. So in there we include stuff that's like, there's stuff that's like social media specific, but there's also just general web use. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, the, that's what that at least started out as. I don't know what it is exactly now, but anyway. Um, okay. So one last thing I, I kind of want to talk about is uh, boys versus girls, because mm -hmm. I think they're having a very different experience. And I see this in my own family, the difference between what's happening with boys and girls. Um, can, yeah. can you touch on that a little bit? Yes. I mean, you're, you're not, it's a very keen observation. You're not off at all. Um, you know, kids that identify as girls do have a worse experience online than kids that identify as boys, just straight up. If you're presenting as a young woman, I would say that there's a 95% likelihood that you will be harassed online. And, awesome. and Robin, I was just in a lecture hall, not two weeks ago with over a hundred university, uh, it's kind of an undergrad class. They study media, social media class. And I was the guest lecturer. I ask in every single class, when I get to this slide, I say, how many of you have been harassed? Maybe that's a um, more severe forms, which is defined as things like cyber stalking, repeated harassment, um, revenge porn, or lighter, quote unquote, lighter forms of harassment, which are like, um, um, you know, maybe you're, you're sent unwanted photos without your consent, like this kind of stuff. And, and every single time, 95 to 100% of the presenting women in the room put up their hands that they've gotten something. So there's that side of it, which is like, you're just as offline. You, if you present as a woman, you are more unsafe offline. You are also more unsafe online. Now, the other thing that it reflects in the offline world is that historically, um, if you go into social comparison theory, which is the basis of my research, this is long before social media and the internet, women present just more, more, let's say drive towards comparison. They compare each other more. Mm -hmm. um, they compare themselves more too. And 
this, this kind of historical theory for why this is, is because women are more relational, like the relations of the community matter more. And so therefore this is translated onto social media as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it gets to the cyberbullying parts of it as well, younger women also tend to, actually, women in general also tend to make, keep it more in the mind. That sounds oh, yeah. like, hold on it's to very, it. it's very cerebral. Also like the kind of bullying is often cerebral. Mm-hmm. It's often like someone's being left out of the DM chat, but let's just make sure they know that they're being left out. Mm-hmm. Whereas, um, Oof. it's not, it's not to say this doesn't happen with young men, especially more and more as we start like kind of just breaking down, you know, gender constructs, to be honest, like it, it happens with, with young, <laughs> with young people in general, but, um, it definitely seems to still be in the direction of, um, of young women. It also true in my own research. Yeah. Really interesting that, that those that identify as girls and, and I, and I, I like the language that you used around that really were kind of wired for comparison, which is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, that would be the suggestion, certainly historically, um, that's, yeah. that's, what's been true. That's also shown. You don't even need to take my word for it. You can just go read the entire section of my thesis on social comparison (laughs) and you can read, you can read the very studies for yourself that show that there is a more of a, uh, what's the word for a nature for it? I suppose. Mm. That would explain Mm, why it would, you know, it's like, why do we do what we do? You know, some of this is, is yeah. the way we're wired, you know, predisposed. that's what I was going to say. Presuppose. Mm. We are pre we are predisposed to it. And I always say yeah. when I talk about social media, that the dark side of social media is the dark side of people, the dark right. side of that makes the harasser harass or the bully bully, the dark side that makes you take down a photo that you were excited to share or the dark side that looks at a picture of someone else's happy family and wonders why yours doesn't look like that. Mm-hmm. And this dark side can extend and ex- the dark side of the people at the companies that are prioritizing profit over young kids. Like this is, this is it's just, it just goes so far, but it really often is a reflection of what's happening offline. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Wow. And, well, you're, and you, you know what you also said, I also know that um, I mentioned that if you're a presenting woman online, that you will probably likely be harassed at some point. The other thing that's worth noting is that if you belong to any group that's equity seeking at all, the harassment will usually be about that thing. So if you're a woman, it'll often be like harassment that has something to do with being a woman, whether it's body or like all the things you can think of. But if you're a trans woman, it'll include that. You'll get be harassment about you'll get harassment about that if, if, um, you're open about it. Um, if you are Muslim, if you're queer, if you're, I mean, literally two S LGBTQ, you name it, you are just as you are offline, more unsafe than others. You are also more unsafe online. And so there's really special stuff for that, those communities as well, but, um, similar Mm -hmm. to offline. Yeah. So it really just is a mirror. And it just is more in your face, right? Yeah. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, okay. So here's the thing though. There are things you can do about it. And that's <laughs> yeah, the let's bring it reason up, yeah. we're having, yeah, <laughs> that's the whole reason we're having this conversation is that it's not all doom and gloom, but we do need to know what we need to know. And you don't know what you don't know. Right. And so we just need to, to, to understand that. And so 
with your help, we're able to understand how to talk to our kids about this. And I think that, you know, from a parenting perspective, let me just tell you what our kids need. Mm -hmm. Our kids need us to be a safe place for them, no matter what, Mm -hmm. because they are still growing. They are still, their brains are not fully developed yet. And so they do need that safe place. And you're, you even mentioned it when you said, you know, the 20 year olds, the 21 year olds, the 25 year olds, you know, some of those 20 somethings do not have a fully grown brain yet. And so this is the stuff that they need some help with. So being a figure of stability for them, being a safe place where if they make a mistake and that's, that's the, the society we're living in, you can't make a mistake, right? Because it's, it's everywhere. I think we need to be careful about, you know, what we share, how we share it, what we like, why we like it. Um, But, but, but if our kids make a mistake that we're just there to help them figure it out, without Mm -hmm. shaming them, criticizing them, telling them all the ways they Mm -hmm. did it wrong or saying, I told you so just say, okay, I've got you. I've Mm -hmm. got you. And mistakes happen. In fact, to make a mistake means you're human. It is a shared human experience. Mm -hmm. And here's what we're going to do together. You know, Mm -hmm. I've got you right. Like that is being that safe place for your children is one of the most important things you can do without judgment, without criticism. Mm -hmm right? Without labeling them. Oh, you're, That's you're just, important. I just love it. Yeah. Everything you just said is co-signed. Yes. <laughs> because, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For sure. Because we're also at this weird phase of history where I truly have a ton of empathy for young people today because they're engaging in this risky behavior and they're at this stage of life where it was very normal, even long before social media, it starts around puberty where you start engaging in more peer-to-peer comparison. You go outside the home. You start to construct your identity by comparing it to others. Even as something as simple as I know I'm a tall person because I look around and everyone else is shorter. Therefore, it starts to inform my identity as a tall person. Mm-hmm. This happens around puberty and is most accentuated until about 25. Mm. This happens all throughout life, but it's certainly most accentuated there. So they're already at this stage of life where they go on, except now it is always on. It doesn't turn off. You can't Mm. leave it at the end of the day. It's directly tied to you, convincing you that this is an objective comparison when it's not. And then let's say something does happen to a young person. They are being harassed in their DMs. They've encountered one of these risks. We're at this time of history where largely the typical supports they might go to, whether it's parents or educators, guidance counselors, coaches, you name it, when they're going through something, largely just didn't grow up with social media right now. So it's hit or miss. Like if they go to a guidance counselor and they say, I'm being harassed in my DMs and they say, what's a DM? It's going to be like, well, clearly, how am I going to get help here? So, But I just love that you've said though, what I think everyone here listening, you've actually already engaged with step one, which is how can I even talk to my kids about this? If I don't know about it, if I don't have the language myself, if I've not even thought about how I use, how can I model it for them? If I haven't even thought about if I'm okay here Mm -hmm. and imagine tomorrow, you just talk to them a little bit differently about this, or you see something on the Mm -hmm. news that happened on social media. How do you talk about it in the household? You know, Mm -hmm. like this is something you definitely do have control over. And now that you do know, maybe your school is going to say, oh, we want to bring in someone to talk about digital well-being. Maybe you say, yes, absolutely. We should do that because yeah, we should teach about this. Um, Maybe it comes up when they start regulating big tech eventually. Maybe you say, you know what? Mm -hmm. I do know about this. And I think this is probably pretty smart. (laughs) So 
to know yeah. better is to, to do better ideally. And I just love what you said there. Mm, thank you. And, and my greatest hope is that this is the generation of kids that will make the biggest difference for future generations. That's really my hope that this is going to be their awakening to mm-hmm. do something about it. Um, if not, I think so. I if think not so. us, you know, if, if not us, then them. I, is I'm working what, on is it. I'm working yeah, on it. <laughs> yeah, we, we are, we are. And, and I think that it starts at home, you know, when you've got kids who are bullying, you know, let's go to the root of why they are, you know, there's something going on with that child and we need to help that child. We mm-hmm. need to, we need to help that family. You know, there's reasons why kids act the way they do too. And like you said, there's also this whole part of brain growth that happens in the teenage years too, that, mm. that being aware of, they also purposely, uh, their brain is wired for more risky behavior, not so in a true. way that is destructive, but it's in, it's in a way that they're, they're testing things out. They're like scientists, not being stupid teenagers, but what they end up doing is kind <laughs> of like illogical, mm-hmm. but it's a part of growth for them too. So really just True. understanding those things too helps us to not judge them, not criticize them and just really be like, okay, like this is just the way your brain is working. And can you imagine how powerful it would be if we were able to just sit down with our kids and say, okay, this is how your brain's working right now. And I know it feels like sometimes mm-hmm. it's crazy town inside your head. And actually that's what it is to be a teenager. And it's okay. And you just kind of have to wait it out, but I'm always here to talk to. If you make a judgment call and you're not sure about it, I'd love for, I'd Mm -hmm. love to be your sounding board. Right. So, you know, I think relationship with your kids is everything and really helps the whole situation. Yeah. The probably even the harder part is, um, you know, radical empathy. Do you have empathy for the other kid? for the other kid that did something to your kid, because they're also a 14 year old with a growing brain and maybe no supports like who knows. Right. So I've seen a ton of parent on parent issues in schools, especially, I mean, even cops being involved over things like distribution of child pornography, where one kid sent it to another who sent it to others. And then it was like, Oh, this parent wants to sue this kid or get them expelled. But actually your kid was the first one to distribute it. And therefore they're also liable. So I don't really know if you want to go down this path. So it's like wild right now. <laughs> yeah. We're all looking for someone to blame, but actually it, it, it starts in our own homes with the way we parent our kids. And I say it all the time. In fact, the first line, when you look up my podcast is, I believe we can change the world in the way we parent our kids. So I just, oh, thank you. Well, I I mean, Robin, I love it. (laughs) it. Yeah, I really do believe it. And, uh, and, and I also recognize it's just not easy. It's not easy. You know, I'm, I'm in it too. I'm in it with my boys and, uh, and it's, it's not easy. So I just want to say thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Thank you for the resources. So parenttoolbox.com, parent-toolbox.com is the site. And you can get having the talk with your kids about social media, 12 strategies to improve social media use and the social media addiction assessment. You can find Bailey's work at safesocialmedia.co. She also has skill, skillscamp.co. So if you know, um, this is, this is more in the professional realm, businesses will use you to help train soft skills, which <laughs> yeah. oh my goodness are so important and not really being talked about as much. So, um, I just want to thank you so much. And one, one last thing on, um, since we're talking about the socials on Instagram, you are, um, skills camp 
HQ. Yeah. Right. At Skills yeah. Camp HQ. Yeah, I know. I'm probably talk. most active at Bailey Parnell, but oh, perfect. Hopefully, hopefully I'm the good side of social. <laughs> yes. Well, I'll be following you now. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then you're also on YouTube as well. So you're everywhere. And that is phenomenal because we need more people like you on the socials, on the social. Well, well, and let me return the compliment because vice versa, for sure. I think you're, you're doing, you're doing the work here. You're giving people, I think you're helping a lot of people. And it sounds like you're leading with a human centric approach and empathy Mm -hmm. first. And I just really appreciate that. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and connection.